Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch. This is Marianne Russo. Um, I'm very happy to be here tonight on a really different topic. Um, you know, usually we talk about you know, a variety of disorders and treatments and therapies, and tonight we're going to just talk about happiness. Because I think that, you know, amid all of the chaos that a lot of us have raising special needs children, we lose sight of happiness. And, um, you know, we need to find some place to find strength. And some people find their strength in religion. Um, some people don't. So tonight I'm going to introduce you to uh, something you may not have even heard of, which is the humanist approach. And with me is Jen Hancock, and she wrote The Humanist Approach to Happiness, Practical Wisdom. And, you know, as I read it, I was thinking, I'm I'm a humanist. Uh, You know, it's just a great book. And, um, you know, I, I think that one of the biggest, you know, in the book they talk about the biggest concern parents have with teenagers is how to teach them to be good ethical people. And this book is really a really great guide for that. So let me introduce Jen Hancock. How are you? I'm doing fine and thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm I'm very happy you're here. We've been tweeting happiness um quotes um yeah, for the past few days. And um you know, the book is really interesting. And you know, I, I just want to clarify that, you know, a humanist is really a philosophy, being a humanist. It, it's not a religion. Right. So can right. you just why don't we just start off by you telling us what um, humanism is. All right. So the official like American Humanist Association definition is that humanism is a progressive philosophy of life <clears throat> that without supernaturalism affirms our ability and our responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. In plain English, that means live your life to the fullest, love other people, and leave the world a better place. And we feel that that's a moral obligation we have, not just to ourselves, but to everybody else as well. I apologize. I do not know Good what Good evening, and welcome to here. the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash <laughs> and Special Needs I Talk apologize. Radio Network feature outstanding programs. Hmm, that was odd. I'm sorry about that. Not a problem. And it's back on. Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not even doing it. <laughs> it just okay. wants to come through. It just wants to come through. <laughs> Okay, I think we've got it under control now. Um, Chuck, I'm sorry to have you tap dancing through that. Um, You know, I I, want to talk about, you know, the basis of this because, you know, the point of the book, as you say, isn't to tell young people how to behave, but rather it's a purpose. So, um, you know, the book starts off talking about morality um, and the moral compass. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of people just think, well, you know, I'm a good person. But it's really much deeper than that. So why don't you first tell us about the moral compass that you write about in the book? Sure. You know, the the purpose of the book was to help young people learn how to make decisions for themselves that will benefit them. Because, you know, your actions have consequences, so you should choose your actions wisely, right? Some some paths lead to happiness, some most certainly do not. Um, and if you want to be happy, you, you kind of need to make choices that are going to help you on that way. So the purpose of the book is to help young people learn how to make those decisions. And a really integral part of that is your moral compass, whatever that is. You have to have some way to value what is good and what isn't good in order to know whether the decisions you're making are going to help you or hurt you, because it's a value judgment, and that makes it a moral judgment. And for the humanist, our moral compass is based very firmly in compassion. 
All right, we want to help ourselves and we want to help everyone else as well. We want to be good to other people. If it helps people, it's good. If it hurts people, it's bad. That's pretty much how we look at things. So if something's good, it's it's good based on the outcome of it as opposed to just it's not inherently good or bad. What happens afterwards is how we judge whether it was good or bad. I hope that right. makes sense. <laughs> no, I mean, it does make sense. Um, but, you know, it, it's... It's just so deep rooted in humanism yeah. um as mm-hmm. i was as reading the book because I think that oftentimes we really don't think about moral compass, we don't think about instilling that in our kids. you know we try to teach them right from wrong, mm-hmm. but you know compassion is a really core feature in uh you know in in somebody's character oh um, yeah and it and it's consistent with almost almost every belief system out there and every almost every religion has compassion kind of as its core value. So this is not something unique to humanism. Um, we just recognize that this is, in fact, one of the core values that humans have, and it, it leads to really good outcomes when you are trying to make a decision and you're thinking in terms of how is this going to impact me and everyone else. You know, exactly. It leads to better decision-making. So you know, if, you're, if you're not making your decisions with your moral value front and center – you know, then you're not making good moral decisions because you haven't integrated your morals into your decision making. And you know, you you write in the book, um, which I loved, um, and and I'll read the quote from Albert Einstein: three mm-hmm. rules of work: out of clutter find simplicity, from discord find harmony, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Right. And really, you've just um, built upon that, and you have um, the rule of threes. Right, and it was really interesting to me when I read it because I never really thought about it, but it makes so much sense. So, why don't you explain the rule of threes and sure. how um, using the rule of threes can help in making right decisions? Sure. Okay. So the biggest um, the biggest thing we humans tend to do is we tend to look at the world as if it's black or white. It's either or. It's either this or it's that, and we forget that we have other options. And as soon as you remember, and the rule of threes is to remember you have a third option, possibly a fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh option. <laughs> so when you're trying to figure out what it is you want to do, like, and the examples I give are pretty mundane, but they, they have application to other things. But what are you going to do for dinner tonight? Are you going to eat in, take out, or have something delivered? There's at least three options, right? Um, if you're going to go out, are you going to go to a sit-down or a fast food <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, something in between, fancy, not so fancy, medium range. There's always more than two options available to you. And and we tend to lock ourselves, our thinking, into a very narrow either-or framework. And the rule of threes is just remember, don't lock yourself in. Think of other options. Think of at least three. And if you can think of at least three, you can think of four, five, six, seven, eight. And that helps expand your thinking. Humanism, humanists practice what's known as free thought. And the object of free thought is to not limit our thinking arbitrarily. Because when you limit your thinking, you limit your options. And if you've limited your options, you've limited yourself. Right. And, you know, in free thought and free will, I think, are, are somewhat different. I'm not sure that they're really entwined. Um, and, you know, I was going to talk to you about that also um, you know, free will. Um, But, you know, I think that this, you know, I I often wonder if that's just a trait um, that people have. I know, you know, my daughters, you know, they really do. When they make decisions, I just had, you know, this discussion at lunch today with my daughter. And really, as she was trying to make a decision on something, she was thinking how it would impact this person and how it would impact that Mm -hmm. person. Um, 
you know, and and it really, I mean, making decisions, you know, I, I think that that's what it is, that kids really need to be taught to, to take a breath and look mm-hmm. at things in depth and how what they're going to do is going to affect other people. Right, um, and that's our job as the parents is to not give them the answer, but to guide them through the thought process so that they can come to their own conclusion and have and feel confident that that's the best decision that they can make given the circumstances. Exactly. And, you know, that's free thought. Right. Um, and, you know, I just want to make sure that people, because, you know, free will is something that, you know, everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to go into um, talking about um, morality and religion. And, you know, there really is a big difference between free thought and free will. And I right. think that it can be very confusing for a lot of people because a lot of people that are raised that, um, you know, they have a fate and that, you know, um, you know, God or whoever is they believe in can, um, you know, make changes for them. I think it would be very confusing for, for um, teens to understand right. that there is free thought and free will. So how right. do you differentiate that for them? Well, you know, not every religion, you know, has has determinism, like your fate is sealed kind of beliefs, you know. Um, it is very possible to believe that, you know, God acts through the work of man and that it's your choice to act. So most religions actually have free will as a component, and that is that you have the ability to choose how you're going to act. And this is really, really a central idea for humanism, is we do not believe in determinism. We believe that we have the ability to make choices and that we can make choices that will benefit us or we can make choices that will hurt us and that our, it'd be, we'd be idiots <laughs> to try and to choose to hurt ourselves, right? So we want to make choices that are going to be beneficial to us. And, and for that, we have to believe that we have free will. Now, it, it's really interesting because I just did a, a six-week class on, on this approach, and you know, I was looking at the research on free will, and, and it's kind of confusing in that, in one sense, we don't really have free will. On the other sense, it turns out that if you believe you have free will, you make better choices. All right? And people who believe they have free will, that they have the ability to choose their actions, uh, are less likely to cheat, and they make better employees. <laughs> They're just more ethical. Because if you believe it doesn't matter what you do, then it doesn't matter what you do. You can act badly if you want. It doesn't matter. So in order to really believe that making good decisions matters, you have to believe that it matters, that you have free will, and that you can choose your actions, and therefore, to a certain extent, choose your act- outcomes. You can't control the future, but you can change the odds of what's going to happen to you. For instance, uh, drinking and driving, Right. Drinking and driving is not a guarantee you're going to get in an accident. All you're doing by doing that is increasing the odds that you're going to have an accident. Likewise, not drinking and driving doesn't mean you're not going to get in an accident, but you reduce the odds you're going to have a bad accident. And that's a choice, and that impacts the potential future. And that's actually pretty powerful. It is, and and I think that the difference lies in fear. Because I think that some people, and and I'm not judging anyone, I'm just saying that, you know, some people feel they have to do good out of fear Mm -hmm. of not doing good. Right. Where other people, I think, do good because they know that that will determine their outcome. Right. And and the humanist approach is to do good because it benefits us here and now. (laughs) You know, so... and 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 I think 
it provides more of a motivation to do the right thing. I, there was a pastor in Kenya that um, asked me for a copy of my book because he wanted to teach his young people in his congregation the importance of not being promiscuous because there's an AIDS epidemic in Africa right now. Right. And not being promiscuous reduces your chances of getting and spreading AIDS. So it's really a big deal. But he needed to have a rational ethic that focused on the here and now consequences of the behavior to to, to get his the young people in his congregation to understand the impact their actions were having. And and right. I think you know that's that's the humanist approach. It's not inconsistent, right, with someone's religious beliefs, but exactly. it is a focus on you know what the consequences are here and now. And for a humanist, the purpose of being good is because it it leads to being happy. Not being good leads to being unhappy. Enough said. I'd rather be happy than unhappy. True. but And, you know, one of the things that you write about is that, um, you know, inevitably the kids and the teens are going to come up against not good. Right. Everybody knows. Um, <laughs> right. So why don't you discuss a little bit about what you, you know, talk about in those um, situations. Because, you know, if you, if you raise the kid that, you know, if you're good, good things will happen. And then you're dealing with people that aren't so good. That doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. They're just making bad choices. So, right, um, right. You know, how do you suggest parents deal with that? Well, you know, to a certain extent, there's two things that go on, right? And one is that by the time your kid gets to be a tween, let alone a teen, um, their peer group is really almost more important to them than their parents um, because they want to fit in and they want to learn how it is to be a, you know, to be an adult. And they learn that from their peer group, unfortunately, as opposed to from the adults. But they're also learning from the adults in their life. So you, you do have to continue to be a good model. But what I what I counsel in the book is, you know, having been there and done that, and pretty much every adult who's ever read this book agrees with this, you know, you're looking for people to hang out with that are good. And good people are ethical, compassionate, responsible people. And if they're missing one of those traits, you're going to have problems with them. And those problems will manifest themselves in ways that negatively impact you. And if you want to be happy, you know, you need to reduce that stress and work around these. Because you can't get away from them. They're in your school. And if you're an adult, they're in your work environment, right? So I have, okay, a a whole section of the book dealing with the not so good. (laughs) Strategies for dealing with someone who's a pathological liar, um, for instance. Or dealing with someone who's pathologically irresponsible. You know, they mean well. And they don't lie, but they can't seem to get their act together to actually follow through on what they say they're going to do. And then, you know, dealing with people who lack compassion, which are the most dangerous people out there. So, you know, the book has advice on, okay, here's what it looks like. And here's some strategies to help work around these people so that their impact on you is minimized. You know, as I was reading the book, I'm going, this is me. This is me. And then I came to a chapter. And I said, whoa. Um, And I just want you to clarify for me, because it was a little confusing for me. You write a chapter about suicide Mm -hmm. and people with suicidal tendencies. Right. And you say um, that these people make bad decisions and Mm -hmm. that you should stay away from them. And when I was reading that, I said, this to me sounds very counter to having compassion. Right. So 
I, I want to give you the opportunity to just <laughs> explain it to me because sure, it really. Sure. I'm, I'm looking at the book I wrote. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't writing it from as advice to someone who is suicidal. I was writing it as advice to someone who has a friend who's suicidal. That's the first thing you need to know. Um, and, and yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, you know, and I've had friends commit suicide, and you know, they put you in very dangerous situations, and you do need to be very careful about them because people who are suicidal oftentimes before they get to the point where they take their own lives will you know put themselves in bad situations and and what i wanted to tell tell young people specifically is if you don't understand why your friend is doing some things that are extremely dangerous and they're acting as if they don't care whether they live or die it's because they don't care if they live or die and i really wish someone had told me that when i was younger because it, it would have helped me understand what was going on with my friends, and maybe I could have helped them, and maybe I could have helped protect myself in ways that, you know, I mean, I, I had a friend who took me off trail in the middle of a desert, you know, um, who was suicidal and ended up kill, kill, killing herself. And it was really terrifying, but I was put in a situation that, okay, what do I do? She's going off trail. Do I let her go off trail by herself? Do I follow her and put myself in danger as well? You know, what do you do? And it is danger. These are real... You know, really dangerous situations you can find yourself in. And so my advice was more to be careful um, and to, you know, not – it wasn't to not be compassionate with what your friend is going through, but to also recognize that you need to take care of yourself as well in these situations. Right. Because suicidal people will put you in dangerous situations, and you need to be very careful about that. Yeah, you know, no, if we no, had no. not found the trail again, you know, who knows what would have happened to us. Right. You know, I just, you know, I, I, as I say all the time, you know, mental illness, if you take the mental out, you think of illness. I mean, you know, there are young right. people that are ill. Um, so, you know, I, I could see if, if you have someone putting you in a dangerous situation, but, um, you know, like, God forbid you have a teenage friend, you know, it's, I, I just worry about them being lonely. But, right. Um, oh, I do too. And But, you know, at the same time, I didn't recognize these friends were suicidal at the time. Right. You know, this is something I recognize now as an adult, but at the time, I didn't know what the heck was going on. And if I had known my friends were suicidal, I would have handled things much, much, much differently. You know, not just in terms of how I treated myself, but how I kind of insisted to them that they get help, because I didn't know they needed help. I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, and I think the humanist approach also plays a role in um, a loss. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we spoke earlier, and you and I have both um, lost children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that it, it, different people with different types of, you know, thinking handle it differently. Right. Um, you know, I didn't think, why did God do this to me? Um, I just, you know, thought it was the worst thing that could happen in my life. And, right. you know, you handled it the same way. Right. Um, you know, other people don't. Um, you know, some people place blame. So, you know, how, what would you say to people that pray and, you know, ask for a child to be healed. Because, you know, a lot of the parents who are going to go into this next, we have children with severe struggles. We have, you know, I have a daughter with a severe pain disorder. Um, you know, how do you, what do you say to people that pray um, and don't get their prayers answered? I mean, it must be devastating. Yeah, I would I would think it, it would be. Um, you know, I, I think... I always there's two things that come to mind, and the first is that when I when I explain you know the humanist approach versus the religious approach, they're not incompatible with one another. And and I and here's the example I give: if you have a, a field that needs rain, 
do you pray for rain or do you irrigate the field or do you do both, right? Do you take practical steps in addition to praying for rain, you know, or do you just pray? And most people understand that just praying for rain is not, it's not going to hurt, right? But it's not going to guarantee water gets on the field. If you want to guarantee water gets on the field, you have to irrigate. Now, you can do both. There's no problem. When you have a sick child, you can pray for healing. You can take the kid to the doctor or several doctors and try and find out what's wrong. Or you can do both. And as long as the person is doing both, I got no complaint. But if all the person is doing is, is praying, I live in Florida. We have kids die every year. Like 10-plus kids every year die in the state of Florida because of faith-only healing. And that upsets me. So I have no problem with prayer in addition to, you know, active attempts to solve the problem. But if all you're going to do is pray, I'm going to be pretty mad. But most people of faith feel the same way. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. So it's not, I'm not alone in that. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that, that's extreme. Right. Um, what I would you know, say from the humanist perspective is that knowing what's wrong, you know, goes a long way to having an effective solution. And, and also knowing when something's not fixable is also an important thing to know. Because otherwise you can spend a lot of time trying to fix something that's not actually fixable, and you're wasting time, energy, money, and frustration, you know, when you could have just accepted that situation. And, you know, and if it's a child, it's it's incredibly hard, right? It's like the last thing you want to do is just accept it. Um, but sometimes that's the best thing to well, do. Well, you know, you don't have to accept, you don't have to accept the disorder. Right. But, you know, if, if it's the one thing that I really, really press is that you do have to accept your life unexpected. Right. Um, that's that. That's key to surviving. Being a special needs parent is accepting, right. um, you know, what you have. But you know, I think that a lot of special needs parents were just so wound up. We're under so much pressure that I think that we don't even think about being happy. And you know, I was thinking about it today when I was you know, thinking about what we would talk about, and I was saying, well, right. maybe it's just too subjective. Maybe happy to one person is very different to another. Right. Um, you know, so I mean, how how can you how can parents like myself? I mean, I have a child who's going through severe pain every day mm-hmm. of her life. How do we find happiness not just for ourselves, but how do we find happiness for these kids? And and that's the struggle, isn't it? I think the first thing is that being happy all the time is not realistic. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, this isn't a... the giddy book. Let's make <laughs> right, that right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know. This isn't yeah. like I'm going to walk around throwing rose petals in the air. This is, right, you know, you know, this is very practical. on the back of flying unicorns. No, life doesn't act that way, right? Right. Um, you know, but understanding that um, you do have choices in how you respond to things, and that more importantly, and I think this is what my chapter on grief does, is that, you know, it's an emotion. Emotions pass. So as frustrated as you are one minute, you might be elated the next, Right that no emotion is constant. So you're cycling through a variety of emotions, and especially if you're in a very stressful, difficult situation, you know, that's normal. You know, I'd be more worried if you're, like, under stress and happy. I'd be like, something's wrong wrong with you, you know, because you, you need to have these emotions, but you need to not hold on to them either. Allow them to ebb and flow as they come and go. And I know, you know, when I... You know, I don't have a special needs. I have a gifted kid, but you know, he doesn't have anything horribly wrong with him or anything like that. So I'm not I'm not dealing with a kid who's in pain every day. But I did go through a really bad period where I was being stalked, and you know, 
I was under a tremendous amount of stress. It was affecting me physically. I, I could barely get out of the house. There's any number of things that were going on. Um, but I do remember allowing myself moments of happiness. When I when I had an experience that made me relax, I didn't fight it, and I didn't feel guilty about it. And I understood it was going to go away, but I just tried to be in the moment and not worry about anything so that I could, I could appreciate that moment. Because my feeling was if anybody – has earned those little moments, it's me. <laughs> you know? I have earned those moments, and I am not going to ruin you. it with guilt. <laughs> you you know, know, but I think that also, you know, that, um, you know, as you said, I mean, I it, for me, it fluctuates during the day. I mean, there are times that I'm walking around, I'm happy, I'm just living my life, and then there are other times that I'm just, you know, I'm devastated. And right. I think that that is just the normal ebb and flow that right. a lot of us go through with or without um, special needs children. Right. And, you know, and I think people worry about it too much. I think they worry that if they're not happy all the time, then something's wrong with them, you know, that maybe just because they got stressed out, they're not dealing with it well. If if your emotions are ebbing and flowing, you're normal. Hello. Right. You know, it's it's if they're not ebbing and flowing, right? If you get stuck in one place for a really long period of time, then you need help with it. And you know what? There's There's people who can help you with that. There are professional therapists who can help you unstick yourself, and it doesn't require drugs. You know, they can teach you coping techniques if you feel that you're not coping well. But the normal ebb and flow of emotions is normal. Right, and I think that the parents have to understand that. I think a lot of times that I think there are some people that, you know, do think about how, you know, I, I just want to be happy. I just want my child to be happy. And I think there are other people that just don't even think about it. Um you know, as Chuck just said, guilt is very, very overrated. I mean, he's right. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, let, let's talk about the difference um, between being happy mm-hmm. and being content. Right. And is being content such a bad thing? Oh, I I consider myself, you know, when I go out walking with my husband and my son around the neighborhood and I'm holding my husband's hand, you know, I, I think about in hindsight where, you know, you take the time to think about where you are in your life and I think, you know, I'm in a state of stupid, happy, contented bliss. And to me, that's what happy is. It's not this feeling, it's not a feeling of elation. It's just, in hindsight, I had more good moments than bad moments. <laughs> that's what I think, that's for me what, how I would define happy more good moments than bad moments. And, you know, and I think that parents also have to find the time to help other people. Yeah. Because it just makes you feel so much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's um, a you know, little it, hard it, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, a situation at home with a kid who needs extra help because your time is taken up. I, but, I, I, I disagree. Obviously, I disagree with that. Right. Um, you know, I think that we have the most to offer each oh. other because, you know, as the Chinese proverb goes, um, if uh, to know the road ahead, ask someone coming back. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, you know, it, it's really true. But I think that people have to find their happiness. You know, my husband has a friend. And he's got a lot of things going on all the time. And, but he always seems happy. And I said to him, you know, what's with him? You know, how could he be happy? And he said he makes himself happy. And, you know, and it's, he makes himself happy with little things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we become as, we ha- if you have a child like this, that the little things become so important. Right. Uh, you know, they, they mean so much more. Um, you know, and it's it's really a matter of how you want to live your life. Um, and everyone finds strength somewhere. I mean, I find my peace because I put my head on the pillow 
and I say I did the best I could with what I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that makes me happy. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think, do you have any tips that you, before I'm going to run out of time, we have three minutes left. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> do you have, um, yeah. Well, do you, you know, I think um, happiness, you know, one of my friends said something very profound to me the other day, and that is that, we're, you know, we're happy in hindsight. So the, when you sit and you put your head on the pillow and you go through what good happened today, yeah, there was strugglings and difficult things that happened, but make time to think about what was good that happened that day or that week. And you're going to find more contentment, more happiness if you make that a practice, I think. Right, and I think that, you know, parents have to give themselves a break. I mean, you have to forgive yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, there is no manual for this. And right. we make a lot of mistakes. You know, parents, you really need to just forgive yourself, brush yourself off, and keep going. I think right. that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks, you know, that parents have. And, you know, how does the humanist approach um, help people get past guilt and being able to forgive themselves for the mistakes that they made? Um, you know, I, for me, I can answer this for me, and that is that um, all I can ever do at any time is what I think is right. And it might not always be right, but it's more important to, if I realize I was wrong, correct the mistake. You know, be humble enough to correct your mistakes when you realize them. And don't be, everybody makes mistakes. That's not a big deal. It's not correcting the mistake. Once you've acknowledged it, (laughs) that's the problem. Um, You know, so you do the best you can. You do what you think is right at the time you think it's right. If it turns out to be wrong, turn around and go the other way. No big deal. Happens all the time. Right. And, you know, reevaluate your life and, 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 and look at really what happiness is. Because, you know, I think that when I looked back, things that you would think would make you happy aren't the things that make you happy. Right. So, you know, sometimes you have to really just reevaluate what's happy for you, you know. But, um, you know, why don't you tell us about the book, The Humanist Approach to Happiness, Practical Wisdom. Um, it really is a great book. It talks about ethics. It talks about how to talk to your teens about making the right decisions. I mean, you go, it's a, it's a very detailed book. You talk about, um, you know, talk about sex and promiscuity and a lot of things. So, you know, where can parents get this book? Um, my website is jen Hancock. Dot com, but it's also available at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon.com. It's an ebook. You can get it just about anywhere, and it, it's designed to be discussed. You know, so parents can take it, read it with their kid, and then discuss what they like and what they don't like, and what they agree with and what they don't agree with, and how they might make their own decisions in a similar situation. That's that's the purpose of the book. It's a discussion starter on really all, the, all the topics that matter: sex, money, drugs, drinking, peer pressure. It's all in there. Yeah, and you know what's nice is that sometimes parents don't know where to get started. Right. Um, so, you know, this is a good book. It'll get you started. Right. Um, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with it. It's meant to be discussed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but it's great because it, it does cover a lot of things that are coming. And, and as you say in the book, what it comes down to is just being a good person. But, right. you know, what I got out of it is being a good person because of the outcome, not right. because you fear that if you're not something bad will happen. I mean, that's right. really what I took from it. Am I, am I getting... Oh, yeah, um, and that's the that's humanism in a nutshell. Be good, and we're in the holiday season, be good for goodness sake because it's going to make you a happier person. <laughs> right. Well, you're still not getting the presents if you're naughty, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on who, who in your family loves you despite yourself, right? <laughs> right. Well, Jen, thank you. I really thank you for joining us. All right, well, thanks for having me on. 
Okay. Um, we have uh, some great shows coming up on um, Special Needs Talk Radio this week. You can go to specialneedstalkradio.com. And, um, you know, Elise has a great guest on Wednesday, um, Dr. Frank um, Oh, I can't think of his last name. I'm sorry. Um, he ha- he is the creator of Max Gamer Superhero, and it is just a fantastic comic book for teenagers with um, Asperger's or whatever. And it's just it's a great show. And uh, please go on the website www.thecoffeeclatch.com. We have some fantastic shows coming up. We're going to be doing a week special on financial planning. We have the heads and the financial planners of MetLife coming on. You will not want to miss it. Um, they have done a study on the pitfalls of um, special needs estates, the mistakes that were made, um, things parents need to know. They're going to be coming on. Um, we also are doing a special on Social Security benefits, uh, what your child is entitled to, and how you can uh, get it for them. So check out the website, thecoffeeclatch.com, and find out all the dates and set a reminder. You are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Thank you for joining us tonight on The Coffee Clutch.